for employee training, right? People just don't know. And it's not, it's, you, you can't fault them because a company may just have inadequate training. But and unfortunately, when these data issues happen, it costs big money, but it's just a learning point for the employees. I'm Leon Guidry, and this is the Brother Be Well podcast, sponsored by Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. Today, we're addressing trauma and healing with an emphasis on boys and men of color. It's about to get real with our hosts, experts, and guests. Gather around, y'all. Hi, I'm Michael P. Coleman, Content Director for Brother Be Well. The Health Insurance Portability and Accountability Act, or HIPAA, of 1996 is a federal law that requires the creation of national standards to protect sensitive patient information from being disclosed without the patient's consent or knowledge. It's important to know all about that law and those resulting standards prior to someone in your family experiencing a mental health emergency or a medical emergency or event of any type or severity. During today's conversation, we're gonna walk through HIPAA and all of those resulting standards, and we'll touch on a number of common HIPAA violations. You may have heard of those. We're gonna have that conversation with one of my favorite partners, one of my favorite conversation partners, rather, Dr. Carlos Martinez. He's an associate marriage and family therapist with hearyou.org. We call him Dr. Carlos or Dr. C. Dr. C, how's it going, man? I'm doing well, thank you so much. It's great seeing you. You're, you're looking very happy and very, very relaxed, by the way. Well, it's, it's, it's an effort. It's because of people like you that I've managed to learn how to do that at the end of the day. So thank you, sir, for that. Thanks. Let's get, it, let's get into this conversation, if yep. you don't mind, sir. And before no, we get into it, we're, we're talking about HIPAA. So just a bit of a disclaimer, we're not presenting legal advice at all. We're providing a little bit of information. And if you want specific legal advice, we'd advise you to check in with an attorney on that. So let's get started with these, these questions, if you don't mind. Some of the parents, Dr. C, that are on the Brother Be Well platform weren't even around in 1996. And, and I say that with the biggest of size. But because we've got some young parents on the platform, would you mind explaining HIPAA and its origin to the Brother Be Well family? And specifically tell us why it was so important that HIPAA be established. Yeah, sure. Um, so in 1996, I was 17, I think, maybe a junior or senior in high school. I'll leave that there, though. Um, so HIPAA 1996, originally when it was created, when it was passed, it was basically set up for people who are transitioning from different jobs. So you go from a different job with one health insurance carrier and you're going from another job with a different health insurance carrier. You have information in one agency and you're trying to get it over to another agency. So if you're familiar, you know, transferring over water from one cup to another, you're going to lose things in the process. Things are going to spill everywhere. So HIPAA originally was created to kind of streamline that process, prevent waste, prevent fraud, and, and make things easier for us, the consumer. And so with that, after years later, it kind of morphed into different things, trying to keep up with the digital age when it came to data protection, information, things like that. So that's basically HIPAA in a nutshell. Started off to help us carry information forward different places, and now it's kind of morphed into still that, but now all this data and personal information stuff. Oh, and that's the stuff we typically hear about in the media, HIPAA violations right. and stuff yeah. like that. And we'll, and we'll get into some of those violations in a sec. By the way, sir, I, 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 that wasn't lost on me. You were 17 and you said you'll leave it right there. I'm going to leave it right there, too. I'm not even going to talk about how old I was in 1996. Let's just leave that alone. I'm not going to ask. Let's talk about parents and caregivers, Dr. Carlos, and specifically, um, what do they need to know about HIPAA? And does it apply to mental health? Does HIPAA apply to mental health as well? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So HIPAA does apply to mental health, mental and medical information. 
So now as far as parents and caregivers are concerned, if you have someone who has chronic mental health issues, if you're, if you're caring for someone, you love someone who has chronic medical issues, cognitive issues, HIPAA is going to be there. And HIPAA can be a barrier. The reason why HIPAA can be a barrier or is a barrier is because a lot of times we just don't know. We don't know a lot. We don't know anything about it. And I'll be honest with you, even caregivers can be a little conf- I'm sorry. Uh, healthcare providers can be confused with it as well, too. That's due in part to training, which we'll talk about later. So as far as parents and caregivers are concerned, yes, it does apply to mental health. And understanding HIPAA uh, can help you, having a better understanding of HIPAA can help you navigate that system, that medical or mental health system better. And the best way to do that is do do your research. Do your research with it. Ask for help. Uh, National Alliance on Mental Illness, NAMI, big big uh, ab- advocates, and they have a wealth of information on their website, NAMI.org. NAMI.org, really appreciate that. And we're going to mention them a little bit later as well, Dr. Carlos, but appreciate that. There is a lot of information out, out there. And, and if I recall, there's a lot of misinformation. I think the media yes. largely kind of misrepresents some of those HIPAA um, challenges. And I think that's yeah. where some of that confusion comes from. So I appreciate you taking time out to kind of help us set the record straight. Yeah, of course. I understand, sir, that there are four main purposes associated with HIPAA. If I'm right about that, can you tell us what they are? Yeah. And the, those four main purposes basically have to deal with the, the different types of data. So the first one has to do with privacy of our health data. Uh, the second one has to do with security of our data, um, health, health-wise, health information. Uh, third has to do with notifications. How are we notified, uh, notified and how are other people notified, uh, no, other entities uh, and, and concerned people notified with our, with our data? And also now we have to deal with data breaches. So are we notified in a timely manner when our data is floating out in the, in the ether? And patient rights over our own data. Are we able to look at our information? Are we not able? Can I make changes? Can I, uh, can I contest something? Those are all things that are covered under the four purposes of HIPAA. I'm going to need to self-disclose here, Dr. Carlos, and, and tell you how old I was in 1996, because I got to do that to ask this next question. I don't recall, I was, I was in my, I was 31 or so. I don't recall data breaches being too terribly, terribly big then. In fact, I think that, that was the beginning of the internet and, and we hadn't gotten into this realm we're in right now. You're right. Data breaches are, are you know, everybody knows about them. We're all, we have a heightened awareness about those. So I'm wondering if that data breach component to HIPAA was always there. Were they kind of ahead of the curve? Do you know? Or did that was that added to the body of, of laws and standards later? Right. Um, I can't give you 100 percent answer on that as far as wasn't always there. What I, what I do know about it. And I mentioned earlier, it started off with the portability because that's part of it. Uh, health information portability app. And I think I'm missing an A there somewhere. But yeah. taking that information over, and then as the data breaches became more pronounced, especially in the digital age, is when they had to put safeguards in place to go ahead and protect that data from, from the breaches and notifying us when it happens. I, I got it. Really appreciate you helping us with that, Dr. Carlos. Sure. I, I'm curious now about HIPAA's uh, privacy rule. Can you tell us what specifically is protected by HIPAA's privacy rule? Yeah, sure. So one, medical information, right? Things like diagnosis. Uh, whether it's a mental health issue or a medical issue, schizophrenia on the mental health side, or um, 
my high cholesterol, right? Uh, doctors and any caregiver, they can't give out that information. Along personal uh, identifiers, first name, last name, date of birth, height, weight, uh, sex, right? Gender. Uh, and I, from what I remember is that there's about 18 different things, social security, address, things like that, that you can identify someone. Those are all protected under HIPAA. Mm-hmm. Can you tell us what's then not protected by HIPAA? What what's what's do we have to worry about that HIPAA doesn't cover? Yeah, so when it comes to those 18 personal identifiers plus the mental health diagnosis, those and and what's not covered. So you've got things. Well, I've got this. I'm not going to go ahead. I, I had this smart watch by a company that I bought it from. We're not, I'm not going to brand you know sell, sell any brands here. But um, I track my my heart rate, I track my activity level, and with that, it ties to my information. So technically, this is all health information that's going to the uh, fruit company that manufactured this watch. So I'll leave it there. Um, So with that being said, if there is a data breach, they're going to go ahead and notify me. But technically, it's not covered under HIPAA because there's only certain entities that HIPAA applies to. And that's healthcare organizations or third-party agents that do like billing and things like that. And um, so, health. So we have health information, health records, and then also there's health information in things like our employee files, right? Um, when you fill out an employee emergency card form, they may ask you things like, "Do you have any type of issue that we need to worry about or concerned with?" And um, school records and uh, things of that nature. Those are different. There are different federal rules that are in place to manage those. You always, Dr. Carlos, come up with something that I hadn't thought about because you and I both have that same um, fruit related wearable that we wear. That that was pretty funny, by the way. Um, I would think that that company really had to work hard to make sure if, if HIPAA wasn't protecting folks or protecting folks from a breach there within that health right. data, they must have really had to take some serious steps before they added that that health component to those devices. And I know you're, yeah, you're I don't know I what you know about assume. it. Yeah. Well, uh, it's, prob- it's probably going to be all in those, uh, the fine print that, I don't know about you, but me, I'm just scrolling and, and pushing. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I might go back and look at that though and, and see, see about that. I had made that connection yeah. before. So yeah, that's let a, me know what you find. I sure will. I sure will. Okay. So, you know, and that, that, that gets me to this next question, Dr. Carlos, um, when we're talking about who's got that confidential health information. So a family yeah. member, yeah. friend, a neighbor disclosing health information about one of your children or uh, even one of the neighbor's kids, that that might be unethical. To In my mind, it certainly would be. Yeah, 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 I, I you, yeah. You hear me? But from what you say, that's not a HIPAA violation. No, no, it's not. Um, unethical, bad form. You know, it's just one of those things where uh, sometimes you want to vent, right? Sometimes you want to vent and just, just you're a parent, you want to talk to family and friends, and you're like, oh, my kid, oh, my kid, I love my kid so much, but uh, what's going on with this? Whether it's a medical issue or behavior issue or mental health issue, right? So it's, it's uh, I wouldn't even know if it would be considered unethical. And when I think of ethics, I think of... Um, uh, rules, regulations, organizations, and uh, for me, it's just it's just bad form, bad taste. Yeah, but as far yeah. as a, f- a family member violating, no, they can't. Um, the only way that a family member can violate HIPAA 
is if they illegally obtain information, right? Um, they bribe someone at a mental health center or a medical center to make photocopies of, of the records or something like that, where they're not allowed to have it. Uh, th those, those can be violations. Um, and along the lines of what you said, kind of kind of remind me of being just unethical, uh, and this will go into later conversation, um, stigma. You know, if you're sitting here sharing information, sensitive information about a uh, son's diagnosis or daughter's diagnosis or cousin who has severe mental health, mental illness issues, it can lead into some stigmatizing thoughts and conversations with the per person you're sharing that information to. I see it as being both good and bad because maybe yeah. maybe that information that you're sharing, that person can help you, but it can also flip and do a 180 and they can stigmatize it and your your loved one can be the black sheep of the family. So it's yeah, tough, tough to balance, tough to, uh, tough to balance, tough to navigate. There's ways around things to get information, but basically it boils down to the right to know versus the need to know. It's kind of a rule of thumb I kind of live by. Do I have the right to know this information or share it? Or do I need to know the information or do I need to share it? That's really an important distinction. I, I was in a conversation just a, a week or so ago um, and I had already prepared for this conversation about HIPAA. So it was, it was you know top of mind for me. And I had a little information about a diagnosis for someone who's um, um, engaging on the Brother Be Well platform. And I was really reticent about sharing it. And without even knowing that advice from you, Dr. Colos, I thought, does this person really need to know that or do they just need to know this? You know, I, don't, right. I don't even want right, to get right. too deeply into it right now, but I thought, do they really need to know what the diagnosis is or do they just yep. need to know that they should, you know, slow down a little bit in communicating and really give the person time? You know, that's, that's the kind of issue I was yep. dealing with. So I think we all, if we're just more cognizant of what, I love the way you put that. Do they, do they, do I need to share that or do I just want right. to share it? Right, the right to know versus need to know. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. Let's talk about another real world uh, event that happens all the time. We're we're at the pharmacy. This kind of rubs me the wrong way sometimes. I'm at the pharmacy, and sometimes if the waiting room there is pretty full, um, the pharmacist will ask for some identifying information in a very public setting. And based yeah, on right. what you've just what we've talked about, I'm curious: is that some might think of that of that as a HIPAA violation, is it? Yeah, right, right. So sensitive topic, right, because it's my personal information. Um, you know, and I, 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 sometimes there are things that we want to be kept private. Uh, going back to the conversation we had earlier about 1996, I'm going to go ahead and leave my age right there, how old I was, right? Um, so technically, if you, if you look at HIPAA, the way it's structured and the way it, way it reads, once again, this isn't legal advice. This is just interpretation, reading, what, re reading the way it's written. HIPAA applies to healthcare providers and sharing of information. So if someone says, hey, hey, Michael Coleman, your so-and-so medication's ready. Come pick it up, right? And that's kind of like, oh, all right. That, that's, that can be a little problematic. However, when you, when, when you come to the counter and they're like, oh, are you Michael Coleman? Verify, verify your birthday. Are they sharing that information? Are they sharing that birthday with anybody else? That's basically just an identifier. So when I made that shout out and I said, "Hey, you're so and so medication ready," that's kind of poor example. But usually, like when you're in a doctor's office and they call you, "Hey, you know, serving Carlos Martinez," you, you know, your, your turn to come into the room. They don't sit here and say, "Carlos Martinez," you know, you're here for your checkup on whatever issues you're dealing with. 
basically boils down to sharing of information versus using information for identifying who that person is. You're, you're reminding me, Dr. Carlos, I was I was in, a, in the pharmacy once a few years ago, and, and I really felt I didn't know much, if anything, about HIPAA really at that time. And I was in a pharmacy, and the, the I'm not sure it's the pharmacist or the clerk or whoever was working in the window. She said to this guy, she made reference to um, ED medication, erectile dysfunction mm-hmm. medication. And if, if you watch TV, you knew what, what oh, yeah. it was. And I really felt for that guy. I'm like, that's really kind of personal. And the way she just kind of threw it out. So I, I don't, based on what you said, it wasn't HIPAA, but it was bad form, as you put it. it no, was, no, definitely. Know. Definitely. Customer service, right? I think that's yeah. what it boils down to is customer service. Yeah. And it just it doesn't make me feel good. Let's talk about something else, Dr. Carlos. Let's talk about mm-hmm. text messages. They are, as you yeah. know, quite ubiquitous today, especially yeah. with younger generations. Are text messages HIPAA compliant? Depends. That's not a straightforward answer. So as mm-hmm. far as text messages in and of itself, and the biggest thing with with, um, with information is losing information and sharing information, right, like we've been talking about. So when it comes to healthcare providers, so for example, I work for hearyou.org. Hearyou.org has policies on sending text messages. I can't send a text message from my personal phone. I have to use the phone number that was provided to me. And when I send a text message, before I send the actual message, I have to put disclaimers, type my message at the bottom, more information, such as the the suicide hotline, right? My general rule of thumb is I only keep text messages for scheduling purposes. And when I do it, it's very vague. Hey, this is Carlos. We have an appointment. Just a reminder. Let me know if you can't show up. That could be anything, right? I could be Carlos, the used car salesman. Or I can be, you know, Carlos, the, the barber. So try to, I'm not giving any identified information to the person just in case I get the wrong number. I'm not giving any information regarding what the session is or I'm not calling it psychotherapy or anything like that. So gray area, different agencies will have different protocols. General practice is to keep things as vague as possible, but to still convey the message to the consumer services. Hopefully that makes sense. It does make a lot of sense. And those are some great tips. So I even like the way you said, this is Carlos and not Dr. Martinez. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 That's that's awesome. Really appreciate you hearing, hearing that rather. This might be a great time to talk about um, the need to have consent forms completed. This is part of our parents and caregiver series. So I'm thinking about the parent and caregiver and they're managing health concerns of either their own children or the children that are in their care. Um, and let's talk about the need to have them completed and signed before the emergency happens, right? If it's mental, yeah. if it's mental health related or otherwise, um, can you talk to us a little bit about consent forms and specific questions are kind of, you know, where do we get the forms? How easy are they to fill sure. out? Mm-hmm. Um, with whom do we need to file them? Can you walk us through that? Yeah, sure. So consent forms, they can either be given to you by the healthcare provider, right? So like I have my own health, uh, consent forms that I have and it has the hear you branding on it. Um, but it's great to be proactive as well, too. If you know that a mental health crisis can happen, will happen, or has happened in the past, uh, you can find them on that NAMI website that I mentioned earlier, nami.org. Uh, there's a mental health uh, crisis guidebook there. I think it's about 30 pages, what to do, who to talk to, checklists, things like that. But the last one is a, is a, it's a pl- it's a basically a plan. And there's consent forms on there. And fill it out when fill it out when your loved one is 
cognizant and aware. You don't want to do it when they're in the middle of a medical or mental health crisis, because then that can legally that can avoid a lot of stuff. Uh, and the information is, is fairly straightforward. You know, there's the name of the person who who, who has the who holds the, the right of the information. Then there is the name of the person who that they can share it to. Uh, there may be a list of some providers there if there's already providers in place, or it can be blanket and, you know, put a date and time. How long is this consent good for? You know, is it yearly? Is it indefinite? Things like that. Cause those are all things that lawyers, if it ever goes to a uh, civil lawsuit, will look at. And just to be clear, when we t- when we're talking about consent forms, those are for people who are in your care who are already eighteen or older. If you're if a minor child is in my care, if I, if my own kid has some mental health issues, I don't have to worry about consent forms with them, or or no, maybe yeah, I do. It, it, yeah, it depends. Yeah, it depends on the age, right? right? If they're two, three, four, five years old, then generally not, right? I'm, I'm going to use that word generally because there's always an exception to everything that we don't think of. Um, and so I work with kids. I, I've, I've had kids as young as 10, and I work with kids who are 15, 16. Generally, those kids who are closer to the age of 18, the age of consent, uh, they technically don't need their parents' consent. They don't need to have consent forms signed by their parents to see me as a therapist. So that's where the that's where laws, law, ethics, HIPAA can get a little funky to, to navigate. A lot of gray area. Got it, got it, got it, got it. Let's talk now about HIPAA violations. That's what we hear about most in the media. Yeah. What is the most common HIPAA violation? Yeah, so I've got a work, uh, I've got a work laptop, work uh, iPhone, uh, iPad, and I've got a personal here. And, um, so the most common one is losing information. So I keep everything separate. I don't keep my, uh, my business stuff, especially client information on my personal phone. What happens if I lose it? And it, it's, it's happened. It's been known to happen from time to time. So the most common thing with data, data breaches, I'm sorry, the most common thing with HIPAA, HIPAA violations are data breaches, data leak, leaking of data, of, of data, and that generally comes from losing, in, losing electronics that have it, laptops, tablets, phones, uh, things like that. And then you have the hacking, which is becoming ever more popular now. You just kind of have have prompted me. I've been on the fence for a while now, Dr. Carlos, about right now I've got one phone, one iPhone, and it's got everything on it. And that goes back for me 15, 20 years. I don't know that that's the best idea. Maybe I should separate things out especially with my work here at, at Brother Be Well and Mental Health California, that might be, I'm going to look into that based on just what yeah. you told me. I really appreciate that. It's what can you walk? always good practice. It's great practice. And it also would help with that work life uh, separation that you've talked to us about on other conversations. If I, if I had a, a work only phone with all of that sensitive health related data, at the end of the day, I turn that puppy off, leave it on my desk, walk out and I'm done. So I, I'm going to look into that over the weekend. Thanks for that advice. Yeah, of course. Can you tell us what some of the other HIPAA violations are? Yeah, um, I mentioned it earlier. Employee training, right? People just don't know. It's not. It's, you, you can't fault them because a company may just have inadequate training. But and, and unfortunately, when these data issues ha- uh, happen, it costs big money. But it's just a learning point for the employees. Employee gossiping. Yeah, I, I'm guilty. I love a good story, right? But the employee gossiping in the hallway, people hear it. They post now it's social media, you know, putting things on there. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this basketball player, God rest his soul, but his name was Kobe Bryant. Sounds familiar. 
law right. enforcement took a photo, they put it on social media, and now there's the Kobe Bryant law where first responders, regardless of who they think may be there, they're not able to sit here and give information posted on there. And that's all that all has to do with Kobe Bryant and HIPAA. Uh, and just safe disposable, uh, dispose, disposing safely of information, uh, documents, um, old laptops, old computers, things like that. Make sure it's all disposed of properly so that the information is safeguarded and destroyed properly. And that last one is so critical because for some yeah. of us, you know, we're done with the laptop and we just kind of throw it in a corner somewhere to forget about it, right? If it's not working, you don't mm -hmm. think about it, but you got to purge that thing, reset all those settings, get rid of all that information before you recycle yeah. it. Yeah, great advice, too. We're just about out of time, Dr. Carlos. I can't believe how quickly yeah. time flies by. And as you know, I, I almost never let you get away without giving you a second to kind of give us your final thoughts uh, about this. I so, agree. So I agree. take it. Tell us, tell, tell us what we need to know. What's the number one yeah. or two takeaways from this conversation or top of mind things that we got to know about HIPAA? Yeah. So when it comes to parent and caregivers and with HIPAA, right, HIPAA generally is going to play a role if you're long-term caregiving for somebody who has a chronic mental health or medical issue. First and foremost, my heart goes out to you. I've walked in those shoes. I'm, I'm walking in those shoes. So I understand that. And I understand how complicated the law is and HIPAA can be when you're dealing with a family member who's in crisis, and essentially you're going to be in crisis too because you don't know what the heck's going on and who can help you. So if I, so I, I like to use that phrase, it takes a village. And if you're not sure what that means, basically build the support system. It takes a village to raise a kid. It takes a village to help you with your own stuff that you have going on. Don't be afraid to ask for help. Find a support group. Once again, plug to NAMI, National Alliance on Mental Illness. They have people who have been there before. They have people on call. They have lawyers. They have already made templates. They have people who can, who can, who can walk that journey with you to help you because we can't do this alone. If, and if you're in California, hearyou.org, we're here available for you. Send us an email, send us a phone call, and we'll, we'll help you with that one-on-one -on -one therapy as well. Really appreciate all your time, care, and attention. Dr. Carlos Martinez, Associate Marriage and Family Therapist with HearYou.org. Thank you, sir. It's always great to see you and already looking forward thank to next you. time. Thank you. We'll see you soon. And I want to thank you for watching this video. It's a part of our Parent and Caregiver series made possible by Blue Shield of California and specifically their Blue Sky Initiative. You can read all about that initiative at bluesky.blueshieldca.com. Blue Sky bluesheldca.com. We're very thankful to them. Thankful to hearyou.org as well and, and counselors like Dr. Carlos Martinez. And I'll tell you about another website really quickly, ours, brotherbewell.com. If you like this video, got something out of that, we've got a series of videos, not just as a part of this particular parents and caregiver series, but on any one of a number of behavioral health topics, um, videos, audio podcasts, print pieces, links to resources, all designed to help you and other Boys and Men of Color Be Well. So check it all out at brotherbewell.com. We're a membership supported service. And guess what? Memberships are free. So sign up right now. You'll be our newest member. While you're there, sign up for our blog. Just give us your email address. And two or three times uh, a week, you'll get notifications about videos like this when they go live. So take care of all that, if you would, at brotherbewell.com. My name, Michael P. Coleman. I'm content director for Brother Be Well. It's been a great pleasure to be here with you today. I appreciate you taking time out to check out this video or listen to this podcast. 
And I want to ask you to do two things for me, if you would. Take great, great care of yourself. And we're trying to help you do that. When you get it down, grab somebody's hand and take great care of them too. Until next time, bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Brother Be Well podcast. I'm Leon Guidry. Shout out to our sponsor, Blue Shield of California's Blue Sky Initiative. It takes a village, and we're doing our part to address and heal trauma while supporting parents and caregivers along the way. Thanks for stopping by, and remember, my brothers, be well.